This is December 24th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. And first off, happy holidays. It's Christmas Eve. I hope you're doing something fun with family or friends or, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so you're doing something even more fun. The most fun you could have is listening to this podcast. And this, I think, is a great episode. So end of the decade stuff. I've been every episode up until now, I've kind of touched on end of decade things, those superlatives, you know, most of this, you know, worst of that. Um, but this entire episode is dedicated uh, to the decade. And I think it's a good time to do that. You know, it's obviously A, the end of the decade, and B, the Bruins are just, you know, coming back in the third period and losing in overtime, um, losers of eight of nine. Uh, so it's kind of just, meh, it's that time of the year, meh, whatever. So this is a great time to do the decade stuff. I had on DJ Bean, who covered the Bruins for the majority of this decade, um, and we had some great conversations kind of doing the most exciting moment, most underrated, best rival, the best game, all that fun stuff. So it's all packed into this episode. And I think it's a great way to end the year. There'll still be an episode next week. Haven't decided. I think it's going to be kind of looking forward to 2020 and maybe the next decade. Um, but this is all centered around this decade. Uh, and so we'll get right into that. Uh, but first, football playoff races are heating up and you can follow all the action at my favorite website that's ever existed betonline.ag as your favorite team makes their way to the end of the regular season it's all about playoffs and draft picks this week and betonline.ag is there for you during all the late season drama up-to-date information including odds and lines every spread every winner or loser straight bet parlay or tease your way through the season you can do legitimately everything uh it is your playground uh so before the next kickoff head over to betonline to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus and be sure to use our promo code CLNS50 and take advantage of our great offer today. Again, that's CLNS50. Bring the game home with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. No better way to ring in the holidays than with them. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with DJ Bean. <laughs> And we're here with DJ Bean. DJ, what is up? Absolutely everything. The holidays are upon us. All that nonsense. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm done with my holiday shopping. Thank God you were saying before we started recording that you are not done with your holiday shopping, which is kind of scary. It's the 23rd, DJ. Hurry up. Yeah, that's. I feel Amazon Prime is to blame for this phenomenon that exists where everybody's like, oh, I'll just do it later. I'll do it later. And then inevitably it never comes and also that seems like i feel like i uh i feel like i don't fall in line with a lot of the like typical guy stereotypes and uh the oh saves all his christmas shopping for the last minute is for sure like a a guy thing to do and uh i guess that's like the only manly thing about me well same here I don't like to shop. I really don't. It's even for myself. I really don't enjoy shopping. I don't know what it is. I just hate it. I just want things spoon. I want my clothes spoon fed to me by yeah. somebody else. And uh, I'll decide if I like them or not. I, that's just kind of how I've always been. And Christmas shopping is obviously a mess. So DJ, it's the end of the decade. You know that it's the end of the decade. Sure and is. 
And you started covering the Bruins in 2010, right? So you started at the beginning of the decade, right? That is correct. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's, that is a very correct thing. That is, that's what we try to do around here. We try to be correct. And so you, you stopped covering them in 2016. That's when you moved over to NBC, correct? I think that sounds right. Yes. So you, let me so think. You, yeah. So you did that for six years, seven mm-hmm. years, and you saw them win a cup. You saw them losing a cup. You yep. pretty much saw them in their prime. Yes. Um, so I, I figure. It. Their heyday. They're in a little heyday now, but they were really in their heyday then. And I figure, who better to talk to about the decade than DJ Bean? So, we're going to recap the decade, and I'm going to start. I'm going to go through a series of questions that are kind of like superlatives of the decade. And uh, I'll start with, to kick things off, one sentence to describe the decade. And I'll go first, because I just sprung this on you. So, I'll let you think of a a sentence or less. Um, I would say successful but could have been so much more. And and I'll explain why I say that. Successful because they won a cup in 2011. They went to three. They had a quick rebuild in the middle there. They had an amazing veteran core. They missed the playoff or they made the playoffs all but two years. They were competitive every year. Even in those terrible 14, 15, 15, 16 seasons, they were competitive. It went down to the last game of the season in, in 2016. However, you lost the cup in 2013. That 2014 team was a wagon and they lost in the second round of the Canadians. That team should have been at least in the Stanley Cup. I know there's a president's trophy curse, but that team should have been in the cup against the Kings. And then this, this year, 2019, you lose the cup on home ice game seven against the Blues. So very successful. I would say most every team except for maybe like the Blackhawks and the Penguins would kill for a decade like the Bruins had, but it could have been more. It could have been more in my opinion. And that's my sentence to describe the decade. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, mine was uh, a shorter version of that, which is they should have won more. They should have won more. They, you mentioned the 2013, 14 team, but, and this isn't just like a recency bias thing. They should have won the Stanley cup last season. And the Stanley Cup was basically a gift wrap for them, and they didn't win it. And in Boston, we uh, we get over things like this a lot easier because we're like, oh, whatever, the Patriots will win one next year. Like the whole Malcolm Bel- Butler thing, I feel people don't lament enough because the the value of a championship has seemingly been diminished by the fact that they come so often. But they don't come so often for the Bruins, and the Bruins should have won the Stanley Cup last year. Obviously, the path was uh, much easier for them than was expected. And then they they played an inferior team in the final and lost to them. So that one stings for me. That one's always going to sting for me. So they should have won last year. The 2013-14 year, that was such an intriguing season for me because that at the end of that season... They were probably the most dominant they've been during this whole run, this whole new heyday, this whole era of the Bruins, whatever you want to call it. And there was just the question of, is the, is the, the young defense going to hold up once you get to the postseason? And obviously that was a resounding no. Matt Barkowski, I believe, got sick. Kevin Miller had a pretty rough showing in the second round against the Canadians, I believe. And it just all went to hell. But that team 
as you said, looked like a freaking wagon. And that was without Dennis Seidenberg. It seemed like every all the ch- the stars were aligning. Seidenberg's going to be healthy for the Easter Conference Finals. And nope, nope, nope. So that was a missed opportunity. 2013, I don't lament at all. They If they won the yeah, Cup I don't year, they would have stolen that. But last year and 2013-14 are the ones that I look at and I say, damn. Damn. That, well, that's the exact right word. You had it. In 2013-14, that team looked like a team of destiny. They were the best team regular season-wise and roster-wise that I think the Bruins have had in the past 10 years, and they didn't get the cup. Maybe. They were a bit Maybe. shallow defensively, but, I mean, offensively, hell yeah. That was the Aginley year, 117 yep. points. They were – that that team could do it all. That, that team could, and that was the thing that – you lost, and everyone I feel like forgets about Tuka Vesna that year. Tuka Vesna, right? I believe so. I think that was Tuka's Vesna year. And, and again, it just goes to show people forget that year, and that. I mean, I think the biggest disappointment was that uh, was the Cup this year because it's the Stanley Cup, but the other one is a close second. And then 2013 again, as you said. Um, that you know, the Blackhawks were a wagon. Right, yeah. Bla- Blackhawks were supposed to beat you. That was yes. they were walking into a buzzsaw, and the fact they went up in that series was like that was a great series. That was a the Bruins got six games out of that. They were up for a second. All those overtimes, like hell yeah, that was a good series. They weren't supposed to win that series. Triple OT in game one, and we'll get to one of those games later in the show. Um, so we'll get things a little more positive now. I want to get your most exciting Bruins moment of the past ten years. Uh, we did one of these at NBC Sports Boston where, uh, the just like favorite sports moment of the last 10 years. And it's a Bruins moment. It's Zeno Chara losing his balance while he was raising the cup. That was, I mean, there are so many good stories with that team, but I will put Chara and this will probably give away my answer to any of your other like best, hardest working blah, blahs, but like I'll put Zeno Chara against anybody in this era of Boston sports? Is he as accomplished as Tom Brady? Is he the best to ever do it like Tom Brady? Of course not. But you want dominant player, hardest working, like right attitude. There is, I don't know if there's an athlete or a person I could respect more than Zeno Chara. So him winning the cup and he's such a business as usual guy. Like he's just, he does everything the, the way that, that, that he seems fit and he's not a, with the exception of doing the Peter Bondra celebration when he scored a hat trick, he's not a really over the top <laughs> guy. So him raising the cup and losing his balance, which a there's uh it's a bit poetic because people thought he couldn't skate. And that, that was why he was a, a second round pick and B uh, just that like he couldn't hold it together. That was a great moment. That's my number one. So that's a great moment. You were there in Vancouver for game seven. Sure was. And when, so when they won, how fast did you get down to ice level to see that? Uh, I was, I saw them. When did they, they, cause they, they don't put you on the ice right away. They, uh, I don't know. I think it's probably like maybe 10 minutes before the media gets on the ice. I can't remember. I didn't do it with the, uh, blues this year. Um, but I think well, it's something with the, blue, with the uh, Blues this year. I didn't go on the ice. I waited yeah. for like thirty minutes to go in the Bruins locker room. But. Right. I think it's. I, I I could be wrong. I think it's. 
it could be 10 minutes. It could be like 30 minutes for all I know before they actually put you on the ice. So I, uh, I remember watching the Chara thing from the press box, uh, looking at the ice and looking at the, the monitors. And it was, it was one of the, the more incredible sports moments I've seen because I mean, it, that was my first year covering the Bruins and they won the Stanley cup. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that is incredible. That almost happened last year for me, but not, not enough. Um, my most exciting moment, that is up there. I think Bergeron's tying goal in game seven against the Maple Leafs, I yeah. think was as exciting as exciting gets. And I think just, you know, to go off of what you said about Chara, you can say a lot of the same things about Patrice Bergeron. And, you know, with that goal, you know, uh, the comeback wasn't official at that point. It was four to three. There was like a minute 20, I think, to go in the game. Um, they could have easily not scored to tie the game. I mean, it was right. very, you know, that, that could have easily happened. And that puck had eyes. That puck yeah. had eyes. That was a simple wrist shot from the point you had Chara screening in front. There's so many, like, I've, I've went back and watched that goal a bunch of times. There's so many little things that, it's, that, that took place to make that goal happen. You have Lucic in the corner. It just worked. And that goal saved Claude's job at the time. I mean, if they lost in the first round, there were a lot of people saying, this is it for Claude Julian. That goal tied the game, saved the Bruins in that regular season in the playoffs, saved Claude's job. I mean, and you just look at, I mean, I wasn't in the building for it. You were. You just watch it on TV and that place went bananas. And just the, the ebbs and flows of that game. I mean, you know, Phil Kessel had that goal to make it. I think it was four to one. Oh yeah. I mean, it that was, game was uh, all but over. And you, you talk about how that saved Claude's job. I'm going to drop a people forget. People forget. Bruins down. Now I'm going to forget. Bruins down <laughs> two to one entering the third period, right? Bruins down yes. two to one entering the third period and Claude. Mix up the lines. He put Sagan on the top line. He did Lucic, uh, Krejci, Sagan, because that was back when really the Bruins were using David Krejci as their number one center. And I think, if memory serves, on the first, because people, people were always crying for that. They're like, why don't you play Sagan on the top line? Why don't you give Sagan enough? And obviously, you remember, uh, Claude caught a lot of crud for his, uh, use of Sagan. He put Sagan on the top line and they gave up goals in their first two shifts and the game was four to one and it was over. I mean, and that was a, that was a, a a weird moment because I was sitting next to Dan Kagan who uh, covered the Bruins for the Metro West Daily News. And, uh, that was one of my favorite parts of covering the Bruins sitting next to, to Dan. A, he's a good guy, but B, like your, your seatmate is very important when you're watching all of the games together. Like if you get someone sucky, it can be weird. Or if you, if you're not friends with the person, it can be weird. So like, we always had like a running commentary when we were watching the games and they scored that goal. And I remember Dan saying like, wow, like this is over. They've lost. And it sounded so weird to hear because they were playing the Maple Leafs. Yeah. I was like, like joke at the time. I, I took like 15 to 20 seconds to process it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> they, they've they've lost this game in this series and they've lost in the first round to the Maple Leafs who are taking their pants off at the fact that they've even made the playoffs. Like yeah. that, that was a Maple Leafs first time in the playoffs in a million years. 
and the Bruins had blown that series. They 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 were up what? They were up three two three one. one. Series? They were up three one in that series. Oh my god! By the way, apologies that I'm apparently a ninety year old man and everything that I'm remembering, I'm going to like cross reference with with you and, and make sure that that's actually correct. But you've been, yeah, I remember you've I couldn't believe that that game was over and uh obviously had the draft written to go wrote the had a million different leads that I had to keep rewriting about what a failure it was because that was a season they were the Jekyll and Hyde team and Claude kept saying Jekyll and Hyde and they were either really good or they were really bad and it was like holy smokes they've this this weird season is ending with and it was a weird season remember Sagan sucks to begin the season after yep. being good his second year a lot of questions as to like what was going on with that team, but you just always imagined that because it was the Bruins and it was Chara and it was Bergeron and it was Rask that they were going to be fine. And yeah. Holy smokes, wouldn't you know it, they lose to the Leafs in the first round. So watching watching that comeback, I mean, that, that's been discussed a million times, but you really can't say enough about it. I will say, though, it is a little watered down. Like the epicness of it is watered down by the fact that it was the Leafs. Like you technically could win that because it was against the Leafs. Like that, that, yes, that wasn't that's like unbelievable. True. That wasn't, it wasn't so unbelievable to me that they came back and won that game. That's true. But at the time though, it was unbelievable because they looked dead. Right. It was that breakaway on Rask that he made the big save on when it was four to one. Right. I mean, they looked so deflated and that place. I mean, people were leaving, there were empty seats and it just had all the makings of, all right, second straight year with a first round exit. And, you know, you had, who scored the first? It was Horton and then Lucic. I think it was, uh, Horton. Well, no, is didn't it Wade Redden have the first goal? Wade Redden had the, no, uh, Matt Barkowski had the first Matt goal. Matt Barkowski had the yeah. first goal. And that was his, uh, it was his first NHL goal, but he still didn't score in the regular season for <laughs> a million years. Let me look this up. Bruins, Leafs, game. Well, because it went Bartkowski, Horton, Lucic in front of the net, and then it was Bergeron to tie the game. I remember Lucic was, Lucic was three. Lucic was yes. the third one, right? Uh, yep, and Hor- Horton was two. Okay, so, yeah, Bartkowski, Franston... <laughs> Kessel, Kadri, <laughs> Horton, Lucic, Bergeron, Bergeron. One of my... And I think the o- the OT goal was exciting, but at that point it was guaranteed they were winning that game. They were not losing. Oh god, yeah. Once once more that more went to more. once that went to overtime, that was over. I remember uh one of my uh DJ's a little uh do do we swear on this? I always forget. Yeah, you can swear. Go for it. Okay. One of my uh like DJ's a little shit moments was uh, when Lucic was coming back to to play the Bruins as a member of the Kings, the Kings oh, won that game, game. I want to say eight nothing, eight one, something like that. I think it was like eight to two. Absolutely destroyed them. But uh, I uh, I was a big fan of am a big fan of uh, Tommy Curran as a reporter, and I always like kind of modeled my game after him, which was like try to be a dogged reporter, but also like be yourself and have a personality and be a little bit of a wise ass. Uh, mm-hmm. where where you can and so before that game in the morning skate everyone was huddled around Krejci asking him about playing with Lucic and how much he missed him etc cetera, etc cetera. and Krejci said uh, he was like yeah 
it's funny. Everyone always talks about game seven against the Leafs and, uh, how dominant Lucic was in, in that, that final 10 minutes. And it's funny because Lucic was, he was great in that game, but people only talk about Lucic in that game. And I thought that was like a great team effort. And, uh, it was more than just Lucic, but, but everyone's always Lucic, Lucic, Lucic with that game. So I'm with a straight face. I followed up. I was like, when you think back to game seven against the Leafs, like how, how dominant was, was Luch in that game? <laughs> and <laughs> Krejci had to do the, like, the, like, I'm pretty sure this is a joke and he heard what I just said, but I'm not quite sure. And also there's a scrum of people here. So if I say like, Real fucking funny, you dork. <laughs> like they're gonna think that I'm being the the a hole. But that was that was a fun stupid that, movie. That's funny. That's 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 a great that's a great story. Um. Okay. So I was gonna go into most important Bruin, but it seems like you would say Chara. I would say Chara. Bergeron. We sort of already Chara discussed by it. a mile. Not not by a mile, well, but but I'll I'll say Chara. I agree. Chara is. I hate Chara. Hate. I hate when people hate Chara. Because there's a real group of people who don't like Zidane Char, who think he's too slow. Here's the thing. He has his reach. So in the defensive zone, that does not go away with age. He's still right. six foot nine, seven something on skates. And as a leader, I mean, the culture is the way it is in that locker room, mainly because of Zidane Chara. I mean, Chara came in as a free agent. Was, I, was, who signed first? Chara or Savard? Uh, they think they were both the same day. Same day. I mean, Chara wanted to sign here, came to a team that was crap. I mean, Dave Lewis is the head coach. Yeah. This is before the decade, but but just crap and and a, and a puddle after trading Joe Thornton comes here and instills this whole. Char also turned down more money to come to the Bruins. That's a that's an underreported. Uh, I didn't know aspect. That. I forget if it was. I know the Rangers and the Kings were both in on him, and I think. I think both the Rangers and Kings definitely one of them. I think I'm most. I can't remember uh i've written it somewhere but um i think it was the kings that that definitely offered more money but i i think both the kings and rangers offered him more money you'd have to google that but um yes like he turned he could have had more money and he came to the bruins i think that a big part of it was that he wanted to be a captain so when you say like he instilled this culture he really wanted to be a captain, and obviously that was part of his deal with the Bruins that they would make him a captain uh, right out the gate, which at the time was controversial. People yeah, like, I heard this. This was what? What is this? Well, and, and I, I remember thinking at the time I was like, "This is unorthodox. You're just signing in a guy." And I, I liked Chara. I didn't, I didn't yet fully understand the franchise-altering player that that he was, but I was like. Hey, if it helps you sign the guy, whatever, cool. Like, give him whatever he wants. And signing him, making him a captain, obviously massive. Yeah, I mean, I think Chara ranks in the pantheon of Boston uh, legends. For me, though, I, I would say Bergeron. I think he had so many big goals, uh, so many courageous moments. Um, and I just think that part of why Chara's leadership worked so well was because he had Bergeron right there to sort of, you know, Bergeron was a, a, a Bruins lifer. I think that right. definitely helped. Um, so for me, it's Bergeron just because of the big goals. 
um, the offensive consistency, but Chara is right there. And as you say, I mean, you have ahead of Bergeron. I have him a little bit behind. Most underrated Bruin. I think this is an interesting one. Um, I have two people, I would say. Uh, number one's David Krejci. I think people underestimate David Krejci, especially now. Uh, Felger always says, when David Krejci is good, the Bruins are good. And that is That's a 100% good. fact. It's a good weather van, yeah. He was their leading scorer in 2011 and 2013 in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So both those years, you know, solid in the playoffs last year. He's he's a big guy that a lot of people go, oh, Krejci's too slow, this and that. No, Krejci's very valued, and I think he should be. Number two is somebody who's actually underrated, Dennis Seidenberg. People forget how good Chara and Seidenberg, how shut down they were in 2011 and 2013. Um, I, I think Seidenberg gets overlooked a lot, and he was a huge part uh, of those early Bruins teams in this decade. Can I give the maybe most overbeloved as my most underrated? Yes, do both. All right, then uh, Andrew Ference. He was a his ability to move up from a third pairing defenseman. Wait, to is a this second... underrated or overbeloved? I'm saying like I'm saying my most underrated is actually oh. like the most like overbeloved. Like I don't think that anybody thought that Andrew Ferrance was the best hockey player in the world. They were just like he embodies what it means to be a Bruin. Hell yeah, we love Andrew Ferrance and like Andrew Ferrance, great guy, obviously. He was like right. You would say that he was one of the most beloved Bruins in his time here, right? Yeah, I mean his fights people loved because he right. always stand so up like for he his was there with like he was there with Thornton as like real fan favorite. But as a player, you mentioned Seidenberg. It was so crucial for the Bruins to be able to pair Zeno Chara and Dennis Seidenberg in the playoffs. And obviously that was a big turning point in the first round against the Canadians in 2011. But a huge part of that was that in taking Zeno Chara away from Johnny Boychuk and making Johnny Boychuk uh, anchor a second pair. You had Andrew Ference who could move up from the third pair and play really well against better competition. Having that allowed you to play Chara and Seidenberg together. If you would just move Chara and Seidenberg together and then you had one defensive pair, then you would be SOL, my friends. Screw. So. Yeah, that's a so, good that's a good observation. I I forgot about that. Yeah, he was I I think of a very um underappreciated sounds weird because like nobody was appreciated like Andrew Ference was, but that was a very very important aspect of those teams. So, shouts out Andrew Ference. I mean, and then the other ones that you said, I think are correct. Seidenberg was obviously crucial and David Krejci was one of their best players, and he got paid a lot of money, so people didn't love it. But I mean, look at look at David Krejci's contract right now. Is, is does it look like a a massive overpay? Not really. No, looks fine. You're paying a top six uh, center seven point two five million dollars. Oh boy, you'll take that every day of the week. Now I want your game of the decade. What is the number one? It can be anything. Most exciting, most important, whatever it might be. Game of the decade for the Boston Bruins. For you, one DJ Bean. Today, we are recording this on December 23rd, and that is 
a pivotal day in Boston Bruins history. I'm going to say December 23rd, 2010 against the Atlanta Thrasher. I hardly know hers. And the Bruins, you want to talk about a time when Claude could have been fired. Bruins were coming off a 3-0 shutout loss against the Ducks. And it was not smiles times for the Bruins. They were in a bad way. Horton was starting to look like a bust. He looked like he was starting to look like, I remember I wrote at the time, like he, like this guy looks like he's like a bad influence on Milan Lucic. He's just like, he, he's, he's a, a player who's making his, his, the, you know, they say like this guy makes players around him better. I was like starting to think Nathan Horton makes players around him worse. They were in a weird space. And I think they had two days off between games and, uh, Everyone was saying, like, are you going to fire Claude? Are they going to fire Claude? A lot of talk about they got to fire Claude. And Bruins came out that game. And this was back when fighting still existed. And there were a ton of fights in that game. I want to say, let's see, I pulled up the box score. Like, right off the, the bat, Thornton drops his gloves type game. But Thornton actually scored two goals in that game. And they won 4-1. to one. And that was a huge, huge, huge moment for that team. That was when they like really started to to get it into gear. It's funny, like they the, the Bruins weren't even that bad going into the game. They were eighteen, eleven, and four after it. So they they went into that game seventeen, eleven, and four, which isn't the end of the world. But people really wanted <laughs> Claude gone, and that was a that was a huge pivotal game for them. Would you say what would you say is like your most exciting game, or would you say it's that because that had a bunch of line brawls in it too? Right, a lot of fights in that game. That that was probably, I mean, every moment of the 2011 Cup Final was exciting. And like, I mean, the best game to to watch was Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Lightning. That was like a yeah, that was that's one. If you like hockey, you. Absolutely love that game. No penalties, just up and down the ice, and great game-winning goal. That that was, I think, that, that was a game that a lot of people, myself included, came out of saying like that was the best hockey game I've ever watched. So that was that's obviously got to be on that on that uh, Mount Rushmore. So I have a few nominees for game of the decade. Uh, game seven against Montreal in 2011. Great oh, that game. Was great. Yep. Subban. Everything. Subban had that goal at the end. I mean, Just that had everything in it. Yeah. That, that was that right over Thomas. Yeah. Um, rider save. That that was the rider save. Um, game four against Chicago in the Stanley Cup in 2013. Now the Bruins did not win this game, but it was six five. It was as back and forth as you can have of a game. I mean, yeah, that was truly the, back and forth. That was the Johnny the, uh, Rocket the, game. The Hosa was out and it seemed for a second like they were going to be able to steal the series. That was the game. Oh, that was the game that afterwards uh uh Taves realized Char was hurt and came out in the press conference after the game and said like we're not afraid of Zeno Char, we're going to go right at him and everybody was like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And I don't remember that. I mean, going right at Char proved to be the move the rest of that series. But so that would be one. And then I think if you're talking about, uh, obviously Bruins have high ticket prices. Uh, 
getting your money's worth for your ticket. I don't think there was a more of that game than I don't remember the date, but 2011 Bruins Canadians uh, at the garden. I think it was in February. It might've been fact check me on that where you had Thomas and price fight. I think the game was like eight to six or eight oh, to yeah. five Bruins won. There ton were, of penalty you know, minutes. Ton of penalty minutes. Over I remember there was 200. a great shot of uh, the Bruins penalty box, and Camper was there. It was. Uh, oh, was that the game? Was that the game that started the whole thing? Because the whole thing with Pacioretty? because Pacioretty took a shot at Camper, and I remember they were buddies, and I think they shared an agent too, and Camper uh, was pissed, and Chara was playing with Camper at the same time. So Chara went at Pacioretty after. And then I think the next time they played, Pacioretty shoved Chara when he scored after, the overtime. After he scored goal. overtime. And that was like one of my favorite sports moments ever. Like I'm I you you know that I'm a Chara guy. I thought that was the oh, yeah. funniest thing in the world to score a goal and then celebrate by pushing somebody who could murder you. I thought it was so <laughs> funny. I loved that move from I mean, it was a total punk move, but I thought it was hilarious. Loved that from Pacioretty. And then obviously I I think right was was the uh, the stanchion thing me, had to have been later. But how many times Bruins could they have? Schedule. How many times could they have met that late in the season? Because I remember it was pretty late in the season that then Recky called out Pacioretty and said uh, that he was fine. When was the Pacioretty incident? That was that was, oh, was it, like it, it was the twenty ten eleven season because the Bruins went to Lake Placid in between games in Montreal. So the Bruins that Montreal game where they won eight to six yeah. was February 9th. Okay. Um and then they played at Montreal and lost four to one in March eighth, so about a month later. I think that March eighth was the Pacioretty thing. I could be wrong. Yes. You know what? Cause the January eighth 2011, uh, they were at Montreal. They lost 3-2 in overtime. So I think that was what it was. That was the game where Pacioretty pushed them, and then something happened. They had the, the brawl in February, and then uh, Chara put his head into a stanchion. Um, okay, so I March. so I just had to do the really weird thing where you Google your own name and then keywords because you know you've written a story about something. Uh-huh. It always works, though. Uh Stephen Camper had choice words for former teammate Max Pacioretty. That was February 11th, so that had to have been the uh, that had to have been the February 8th game. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so December 6th. Oh man, I this this little blog post covered it all. Hell yeah, December 16th was when he shoved Chara, and then in February 8th. Um, Marshawn hit James Wisniewski late. Shocker. And then during the scrum, uh, Pacioretty jumped Camper and they got tangled up. And Camper was pissed after the game. So there was... There's the timeline. Yeah, so that, so December 16th, shove. December or February 8th, nonsense with Camper. And then March 8th, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, that was nuts. Also um, forgotten in that year, uh, PK Subban broke Marchand uh, with a hip check. I remember that hip check. That was nuts. That, that like, was a huge hit. Right, Chara or uh, Marchand played 
I think he left that game, missed a game or two, then came back, and then was like, no, 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 no. And then he was out for like a week. Yeah. that. So this gets me to my next question. Who was the best rivalry the Bruins had over the past 10 years? Because I think there's two. There's the Canadians and the Maple Leafs. I say Canadians. I think that was a much better rivalry. The history was there. You also had Claude become their coach in 2017. It's not even close. It's the Canadians. The Canadians could be your peers. The Canadians could be your superiors. It's it's. Not until the last couple of years that the Leafs have been the Bruins' peers. So I've well, they never... also had the 2013 series in in uh, that went to seven games. I think that's You're right. Oh yeah, but again, like they were a lot worse than the Bruins, and that that was basically the Bruins recovering from a potential really ugly moment. I never really take the Leafs too seriously, ironically, except for this year uh, when I thought that the Leafs would. Uh, finally surpassed the Bruins, but yeah, I was right there with you. Definitely Canadians for me. Yeah, we were big team. Uh, Leafs gonna do it, but who knows? Depending on, uh, it's been a weird, I don't know, second third of the season for the the Bruins. So, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think the Canadian. I mean, that rivalry with the Canadians had everything. You had Subban as the enemy. You couldn't yeah. beat Price. Um, also, a thing that everyone forgets: if the Bruins just win. One game against the Flyers in 2010 after game three. So yeah. you win game four, five, six, or seven. You win the second round and you play the Canadians in the Eastern Conference final. Nothing would have beaten that. That would have been an epic series, an incredible series. Instead, it goes to shit because they lost that they couldn't win one game and they blew a three nothing lead in that series and in game seven. Um, I'll also note that is uh, such a missed opportunity. A good uh, mini rivalry would be Brad Marchand and Elaine Vigneault because I think the the Bruins-Canucks rivalry got annoying and old extremely quickly. I think the the cup final was obviously great. That January game, was it early January? It was Uh, early January. Early January, uh, Marchand, Low Bridges, uh, Sammy Salo, I want to say. Yep. that That was fine. But then any subsequent meeting, I was like, oh, my God, this, okay, it's over, guys. Marshawn would continue to taunt them, which is certainly his want. Uh, good on you, Brad. But I think that uh, it ended up it ended up kind of feeling forced. Like, a lot of the, the faces weren't there. Obviously, Vino uh, had left. So it never really felt the, the same after that first regular season meeting. But uh, Elaine Vigneault, I feel like, never got over Brad Marchand destroying his life. So, like, every now and then, I don't know if you remember after uh, after the after a Rangers game, he said something in a press conference that was like, okay, yeah, he's still just tormented daily by the thought of Brad Marchand. So, I will say... Uh, I'll say an underrated rivalry was Elaine Vigneault and the ghost of Brad Marchand. Yeah, no, that, that, again, you could put the Canucks up there. I mean, the Canucks are probably the third best rivalry the Bruins had in the past 10 years. But it got so them. brutal. It got so brutal. It was good for a second. And then I was like, ugh, end this. I hate this. Yeah, no, I, again, I, I think there were a lot of great rivalries over the past 10 years, but as we said, the Canadians, um, topped the list. Um, biggest surprise. 
over the past 10 years for you? I mean, if it's not that Brad Marchand is one of the best hockey players in the world, then everybody is a liar. I know he was a high pick, second round pick, but nobody, nobody thought this is going to be one of the, the most prolific goal scorers of his time. So, I mean, it is, I'm going to answer for you. It is Brad Marchand for me. It's Brad Marchand for you. It is Brad Marchand for everybody. Remember when there were rumors that he might get dealt, that people were saying, like, I think it was like the 2015 right. area, no, the, when they were like, you got to trade him. Shirelli was obsessed with it. Shirelli loved Brad Marchand. He was not going to trade him. So whenever there was a report, like, I knew better than to take it seriously. Because unless the Bruins were going to get, and it was always, it was always like Brad Mar, the Bruins could trade Brad Marchand for what a reporter might think would be like fair value. Peter Shirelli won some trades. He lost some trades. You are not getting Brad Marchand from Peter Shirelli unless you gave him like your entire team. So obviously the, 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 the famous one was Patrick Marlowe, which that was, I, said, I mean, Patrick financially Marlo. didn't make sense. So I think that people, uh, People questioned that right out the gate, but uh, he, I, I texted Shirelli when I saw that report. And a lot of times when you see these things, you'll reach out to somebody who might be in the know. You reach out to, to some people in the front office or you'll reach out to agents or whomever. And you just get like, you just take the temperature on it. You don't say like, hey, I think this is wrong. Do you agree? You just say like, Hey, saw some stuff about this. Uh, is there anything to it? And they'll lead you in whatever direction they want to lead you. And a lot of times it'll be on background because there's no need to necessarily say like on the record, this isn't true. Uh, so he could have been like, uh, no, haven't talked about him. And then people could have written up like, it doesn't sound like the Bruins are in on Patrick Marlowe or whatever. That's how usually those things play out. But he, uh, I reached out to him after that, and he was on the record. He was like, here's a, a statement that I have on this, on the record. <laughs> this is, he was like, I I forget what it was. It was like, I don't, uh, I don't like to respond to internet trade rumors, but absolutely no. I'm not not doing this trade. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Um so that is a huge surprise. I forgot about that being a surprise cuz it is a surprise. It's huge that he's this as good as he is and as you said nobody expected it. I will say my biggest surprise and maybe this is just me but the quick rebound um that they had going from Claude to Cassidy. I mean Oh yeah. After the 2016 season, it looked like they were headed for a rebuild. 2016-17, they were just kind of looking like they were in no man's land there. Claude gets fired. You bring in Bruce Cassidy, who was horrible in Washington. I mean, he was a terrible, terrible coach in, uh, with the Capitals back in, I think it was like 2003, which I know was long before. But it was not reassuring to hear that. And he comes in. They go on that winning streak. They make the playoffs, they lose in the first round, and then they have this quick rebuild and this blend with young guys and, and the veteran core, and it works in 2017-18. They're, they're out in the second round, and then they go to the Cup last year. I mean, that was my biggest surprise, the fact that, you know, they were even in a position to go to the playoffs, let alone the Stanley Cup, the past couple of years, and that all kind of started 
with um with firing Claude and hiring Cassidy. So that was yeah, the biggest surprise say, for me. I, I'll also say a big part of it though, like I give Sweeney credit for the uh the Turner how they rebuilt that defense on the fly because they were going to be a mess. When they traded Hamilton and they'd already obviously Boychuk was gone and they they were rough for a year, year and a half and then they fired Claude, but that was when Carlo was coming into his own. They they added McAvoy. That de- they were set up horribly on defense. It looked like oh, Barkowski, but, but they ended up um, they ended up turning that around pretty quick. They had some. Oh, who else? They had, remember the the twenty fifteen sixteen John Michael Lyles. Oh, oh yeah, God. Right, that's some... like like Sweeney did a bad job with those trades, obviously, but the the draft picks were were crucial. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And then other big surprises. I mean, how good Tim Thomas was in 2011 during that cup, uh, during, during the Stanley Cup run. I mean, he was unbelievable. I also think Tuka Rask was the starter in 09-10. right? And Tim Thomas took it by back the end of the year, the yeah. next year. That. Gets overlooked a lot. But if oh, yeah. Rask just plays a little bit better, he, he's the starter in 2010, 2011. And it was literally one game. They lost the opener to the, yeah, uh, to the, the coyotes, coyotes. And then he played the next one and, and got a shutout. Right. Got a shutout. And they had, I think, like six days off. And they went with, I think they went with Thomas again in that second game. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. No, it was quick. And Thomas was unbelievable on his game. Um, I think that wraps up everything for the decade. Is there anything we didn't discuss that, that should have been discussed from the past decade? I don't think if there, there was. If there was, then it probably wasn't worth it. Yeah. I think Agreed. It, our brains would have found it. I think we, I think we just totally, if there's, nobody's going to beat how good of a decade recap we just had. Hell I think yeah. We hit everything. Um, DJ Forley goes, is there anything you want to plug, uh, at the end of the decade? Brunch podcast, watch NBC Sports Boston at all times. Doesn't matter whether it's, what 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 show? Just watch them all, man. Watch everything on NBC Sports Boston. I like it. All right. So, DJ, thank you so much for joining. This was such a fun decade recap. Um, thank you. And for, have and a good for, next decade. Yeah. You you know what? You have a good – if I don't see you in the next decade, have a great next decade. Yes. Um, and have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas, whatever you, whatever you celebrate. You too, my friend. Have a happy one. And to all the CLNS uh, media listeners, all the Brunsbeat listeners out there, You have a happy holidays, and you have a great rest of your week.